0: I promise to bring my experience and curiosity to each episode, then together we'll peel back the onion on this ever-changing discipline that is marketing. I'm so happy you're here. Let's dive in. Hi, welcome to this week's episode. I'm really excited for you to hear my conversation with Magdalena Pide schmidt Magdalena is a former Google employee, but now a thriving entrepreneur, OKR coach, and consultant. She worked previously at Google for eight years, setting up and managing international teams all around the world in the legal operations space. And as you'll hear, it was a position filled with lots of learning and growth and tons of adventures like living uh, in different cities around Europe. Uh, But towards the end of her career, as most of of you can guess, uh, she was completely burnt out and need of In need of a big change which is what motivated her to start her own company called Heron. Today we're chatting about her journey uh, and the realization she had that the company best practices that helped her be really productive at Google like OKRs were really useful as a solopreneur. So through her startup she's taking those practices to other entrepreneurs and small business owners with the intention of redefining what it means to be productive guys this conversation is really really juicy Magdalena's been through it all and she's just so gracious to be really vulnerable and honest about you know her journey and and the things that she had to go through and I know that you're going to get a lot out of this um so without further ado, I present Magdalena Pidesz-Schmidt our conversation. I'm, I really hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Hi, Magdalena. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited to, for our conversation. Thank you for having me. Oh, Okay, let's dig in because you have such an interesting history. Um, and we're kind of going to start with the beginning, right? Sort of the Google career and sort of a big motivation for your work today, which we're gonna get into all the juicy stuff of what you're working on, but it really started from the experiences you had um, working in Google. So why don't we start there? I mean, I think there's a lot of us out there that idealize working in an organization like, like Google, and there's so many awesome you know, things that we hear about operationally and all these things, but share a bit about your life as a Google employee and sort of how you got to Google.
1: Yeah. So I, I am deeply grateful to Google and to my ears there. I ended up working at Google for close to nine years. Um, so the idealization, so some of the idealization is spot on. You get to work with, in a very stimulated environment with like really bright people that are always thinking about what's next. And, and, and I think that that was wonderful at a time where I was starting my career and trying to figure out what to do I got into Google applying online for an entry-level job oh my god that I had no experience on so it's one of those uh, we make so much so many plans in life and then these random doors open I applied to a legal assistant job because okay. they were looking for someone that spoke Italian and Spanish okay. so I was coming from grad school from linguistics didn't know what to do found this entry-level job and that's how my career at Google starts um yeah so so applied online that's how I start and ended up staying nine years um let's
0: back back up though because you're from Argentina yes you get to the U.S. for university yes or did you do university in Argentina and then came here after
1: I came here to finish high school
0: actually so okay. okay yeah Yeah. So you were here for a while and you were based in California.
1: I was I, from Argentina. We moved to uh, Broward County, Southern Florida. And then there I finished high school. I went to FAU there. I studied, I studied Italian because I loved it as a fun thing. In fact, I had so many credits that I ended up having a degree, but it was never something that I saw as opening career opportunities.
0: Nah.
1: Um, and then I studied linguistics, went to grad school for linguistics, uh, in LA at USC. And then I'm at this cracks point where I don't want to do a PhD. So I, that's how I applied to Google because they were looking for someone that spoke Spanish and Italian. So this is that thing that I had studied just for fun is actually what opened the door to enter Google. Um, so this is one of those things. We make so many plans, but then.
0: I know. But you were, so you weren't going into this with kind of like a tech frame of mind. You didn't want to get into the tech world. You weren't kind of looking to build a tech. So then you became immersed in this kind of foreign, not a foreign language, but like a foreign atmosphere of high power, high growth tech company. So what was your beginning days at Google? Like fresh, you know, you're, you're speaking Italian, Spanish, and you're in the legal department. Yeah. So how did that like, how did that develop your career over nine years?
1: It it was, so it was very exciting. And it was, it was really, I was, I had an admin and a legal assistant, think of a paralegal type of work, Uh, but it was a great team. And I got along with my manager very much. And, and um, I don't. It was it was overall exciting, but it was it was nothing glamorous. I mean, back in the day, this is 2010. We are we ha- we track things in spreadsheets. We receive faxes. Mm-hmm. Like it was very um, non-digital in many ways. Um, but I got very lucky in the sense that the team that I joined was about to really grow because the legal issues that we looked. Um, after we're about to become um, urgent, especially in Europe. Mm -hmm. So within a year I moved to Ireland and I uh, set up a team. I was in charge of setting up operations in Dublin for my team. So within a year I was setting up European operations and legal data protection issues are um, bubbling up. I'm like testifying in court. It was very
0: stressful and exciting. But, and not, but by the way, not using Italian or Spanish in Ireland, probably.
1: Well, but, but uh, so, so, yes, I moved past that, right? Because I was, yeah. I was managing the team that was speaking mm-hmm. Italian. But I had the chance to uh, go and talk to the data protection um, agency in Rome. So I, I, I could show up in court if, 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 if needed. Um, and I had a great relationship with the Italian team. And then the last four years I was at Google, I came back to California and there I was managing the global team um, for um, legal o- operations. Now, the thing that um, talking about like, the realization of Google, the, 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 I ended up leaving Google in 2018, um, mostly because I, I, I was at a point where, which now I recognize as burnout, uh, but it was really a point of, I had had this really successful career My manager had left and uh, my VP was really encouraging me to like go for that role, which would have been an amazing career opportunity. And I found myself in this place of I really do not want that role and I don't think I can do it. And it was this place of disengagement and stress that where it was like nothing that I really, I was highly functioning. I always say I was writing performance reviews until the last hour before I turned on my computer. So super committed to my team. I loved my team. Imagine at that point I had built my, my team over the years. Uh-huh. So super committed, highly functional, not excited about anything that came next. And I couldn't figure out what to do next. And that's when I knew, okay, if I'm not going for the next Role? what am I doing here and that's when I decided I need to leave I gave them like a one year notice because I told my VP listen I'm not gonna go for it um she was so great at and this is so she was so great at making sure over months that it wasn't because of some insecurity that I might feel you know women oftentimes we have that she made sure that it was all for the right reasons that I didn't want it Mm-hmm. Um, and I gave her a year. I was like, go hire someone. I'll help you train that person because in the meantime, they didn't have anyone. I'll help you train that person, carry the team, uh, work with my peers to make this work in the meantime. Uh, and that's what happened. They hire someone. The b- b- guy came in. I helped onboard him as I could. And then I left. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, the the I've seen people able to have longer careers at google than i was able to Mm -hmm. and i think that in my case it was particularly difficult because of the work that we did my because i was in in the legal department my team was in charge of blocking illegal content which means that for many years i saw the worst of the internet content that is illegal tends to not be very good to look at (laughs) um it can can be be very yeah yeah it was and, and in particular in particular My team was responsible for child safety related content. So things that uh, are called child pornography, we don't like to call it that. So I was exposed to that content for many years and I was training people that were um, exposed to that content. And it was some of the most important work that we did, right, because we needed to look at it to... Train the machines and to like report it to the national center for missing and exploited children, so that they could work with the police. Okay. We were literally talk about having an impact that was impactful work, except that looking at this content changes you. Okay. There's no way. so for years um for years I worked with therapists that I would bring on site trying to figure out how do I prevent my team and myself from burning out from looking at this content how do we how can we prevent that how do we know when we this person cannot do this work anymore because oftentimes the meaning of doing this work was such that no one would like people often didn't want to get out of it. They wanted to do it because they didn't want to let their peers down, right? Because they knew it was important, right? But so it was for years, I tried different things of like, how do I organize this work that we need to, this impossible situation of work that we need to do and work that um, we know has an impact Mm -hmm. at at least to um, secondary um, post-traumatic stress disorder. So for, so that's when I, uh, so
0: 2018, I'm like,
1: I'm done with, I'm done with. I just, I
0: didn't want to highlight something because I think, first of all, I mean, the circumstances of your position obviously led, it was a factor in your decision to leave. But I think that a lot of people can relate. And I feel like more and more I'm in conversation with people having similar experience of looking into the future of what, the job ladder looks like Mm -hmm. and just saying, no, thank you. Because Mm -hmm. if, if bigger, you know, we're in a time where we want to create a life and those bigger positions that come with bigger salaries often come with bigger commitments, travel, not being home, not being with the people you care about, like that level of stress. And I think that we're as a society, a lot of people saying like, no, thank you. And so what you've done by leaving, and then now we'll go into sort of here on, right? And sort of you going out on your own is the dream that a lot of people have. So I guess let's start with when you did leave in 2018, did you know? So this year of prep time that you had before you left, did you know exactly what your next move was going to be?
1: Absolutely not. And I think that it's an important thing. To acknowledge, I was at a point where I could not see what was next because I was at that point of exhaustion, <laughs> and it, frankly, I just didn't know what the options were. So, I I think that there is these um, we find a lot of comfort in making plans. I'm going to leave, and in three months, I'm going to do X, and these are we find comfort, but it's important to acknowledge that the person that leaves that corporate job uh, is going to discover other possibilities and that things are way more organic and fluid yeah. than
0: that. Did your last day at Google though, what was the, okay, two, two-parter here. Were you filled with excitement and you were like really happy and relieved or were you nervous? And then what was like the first thing you did after you, you know, that first Monday that you didn't have to go into the office? Like, what did you do? Yeah.
1: Okay. So I, I was excited. I was sure. I, um, I think it's always the right decision to leave something that doesn't work for us, even when we don't know where we're we going. So yeah. it's, you cannot go wrong by leaving something that is not working. So I was sure of it. Um, I, the next day I was in a plane to Ireland um because I had a friend of mine was getting married and then I uh spent I saw friends in Europe because I had lived in Europe for a while and then I took a train from um talk about processing burnout I took a train from St. Petersburg Mm -hmm. to Shanghai oh the the um what is it called the The Trans-Siberian oh wow I took a train I read about American history (laughs) in my train ride yeah and by the time I was in Shanghai, I crossed the Pacific, went back to San Francisco, picked up my car, and I drove from California to wow. so Holy smokes. And then I had landed in Miami. I was like, okay, now what? Um, so, wow. so that's what I did. I was in transit for like a good six or seven weeks. That's what I needed to do yeah. to leave that work, literally. Um Yeah. And, and, and then, and then what happens after is like, I still don't have a plan when I land to Miami and it's, it's, and the everything is very organic. Um, I knew that arriving into a new city, you need to always um, provide, like bring something. And I was like, I'm going to teach people how to do OKRs.
0: Okay. Yeah. Let's back up here because I think that there's a really interesting thing you were saying before about 2010, very like, um, what is it, like, you know, fax machines, like very uh, uh, non-tech, like forward, right? But in that time, in that nine years you were at Google, like an incredible transformation, right? To, I think was really taking place and OKRs and all of the other really operational practices became so famous, right, of Google as Google rose. So maybe let's start with um, explaining what are OKRs? Mm -hmm. Because I think that that, that's a good place to start.
1: Okay, so OKRs stands for Objectives and Key Results. And it's basically a methodology, a way of thinking about your goals. The main idea behind OKRs is that instead of um, driving your execution based on your plans of what to do, we all have ideas of what we're going to do over the next month or so, Um, You define the success, you define the outcome you want to see, you define the results you want to see. And the idea and the reason why OKRs, uh, you know, Google credits OKRs for like 10x growth, they come from Intel, they're they're known for their association with innovation and growth, is that when you start driving your execution based on the results you want to see, you leave yourself free to do different things. Mm. Right. And that is a space for innovation. So it's really OK is so simply this a different way of writing um, your goals, writing them in a way that allows you to iterate, go faster, um, bring, um, build um, traction and above all, really focus. Um,
0: so and for those that are just hearing OK for the first time, I think we can say that in Silicon Valley is like quite it became quite the buzz as sort of like the, the, the new upgraded way, sort of the Google standard of um, of setting goals and with this idea, right, of being just like a better system. There's actually a really interesting article, I think maybe you have read it, but it was quoted in the John Doerr book. Um, like it, there was an article called goals, goals Gone Wild that became like quite famous sort of talking about how the old ways of setting goals were not, were contributing to burnout actually, was, was having uh, were having organizations focus sort of on the wrong things, maybe focus more on just art, like ticking the arbitrary box rather yeah. than doing what was holistically good for the business. So you come with this great knowledge, not of just knowing what OKRs are, but for actually implementing them for many, many years and seeing mm-hmm. the results and seeing sort of um, seeing uh, the progress that your teams can make. So you have this to offer when you land in Miami. So this was the first idea that came to you.
1: Yeah. So I start, so I start, I land in Miami. I start offering workshops as a way of getting to know the tech community in Miami. And then people come to me and they're like, Oh, do you, do uh, can you help us? set up OKRs or do you do consulting? I was like, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as an OKR consultant. Of course I do, right? (laughs) (laughs) And my answer was, of course I do. So in the process of the following, let's say, year, I discover a couple of things. One, that maybe I want to work for myself because I'm finding that I'm doing this and that I can do it and that it works um, so that's one thing. I'm like, I stopped looking so much for a job elsewhere. And I start playing with this idea of being self-employed. Mm-hmm. The second thing that happens is that my thought process was, well, if I used OKRs to run a global team, I can certainly use them to run my own business. Mm-hmm. Even when I don't know what my business is like, it should help me focus. So I start practicing this idea of how do I use this methodology to add, company of one versus a company that was much larger. And I, and and the other thing that, I so I have this spreadsheet where I have my OKRs and every every three months I try to adjust a little bit of the process so that it works better in this new context. But the other thing that I put in place are the Kiwis. So what are the Kiwis? The Kiwis are, stands for Key Wellness Indicators I I put like the Kiwi's name to it, but the idea is very much inspired by an article from Christina Watke. You can find her in Medium. She talks about her personal OKRs. And the idea of the Kiwis and the wellness indicators is that you have, alongside with your objective where you're pushing forward, trying to drive change, you have these metrics that help you see whether you're losing your balance, Mm. your personal well-being balance. How do you know when you're pushing too hard before you hit that stress wall.
0: yeah.
1: Coming from Google and from the experience I had had over years of trying to prevent burnout in in a very, uh, you could say, intense situation of content exposure. um, But it's something that happens to all of us. Um, I, it was very top of mind when I'm, if I'm my own company, I'm working on my own. I need both things. I need to grow as a business, but mm-hmm. I also need to keep a check on my well being so that I can be consistent. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get to, I mean, the Transiberian was great, but I don't want to have to escape across the world. Yeah next yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so that's how this so so this is how it happens I get I start doing consulting I realize I can work on my own I start applying the, the OKRs to my to myself as a small business yeah and I start teaching and there was a, a women-only co-working space in Hallandale you know 40 minutes north of Miami yeah
0: I, I know this one you're speaking of the, the Emory yeah the Emory
1: yeah yeah right. So I started going to the Emory and I started teaching these OKRs for small business owners to uh, the people that were at the Emory, which were mostly um, individual professionals, like real estate agents or like small business owners. Yeah. And it was so exciting because these women in this case, they had never been trained to think this way. Mm-hmm. And when I taught, I, I taught them how you write an OKR and they could take everything that was in their plate at that moment right and, and concise into a single thing that was yeah. concrete it was it was such a relief
0: yeah
1: and that's when I got really excited because at heart I'm a teacher and, yeah. and and connecting the dots between like this way of thinking that I had the privilege of having access to and people that can benefit from it it's like it's it's exciting and I'm like yeah. It, it can have so much power. So that's how Heron, how, that's how the idea of the startup starts is this okay. idea, oh, I'm going to bring yeah. these practices to the hands of anyone yeah. that wants to
0: learn it, right? So I want to double click on this because I, I, I teach a lot on this podcast. And one of the things I think I've said at nauseum is the idea of the market research. And I just want to point out is like your time as a teacher and doing these workshops for however long you did, was really like, even if you weren't consciously uh, structuring it like this, was your market research phase. Because every conversation you had, every way that you were trying to te- tweak how you were uh, sharing your lessons or whatever became what uh, prompted you to like, what, built, what you built the company around, right? So then, so let's just uh, explain. So then Heron is an, is an app. Right, it's like a way of creating what you were teaching in the workshops in an app, right? And also tracking. So let's let's go into that. Yeah,
1: yeah. So one of one of the things that I learned from talking uh, from being at the Emory was that um, I wanted to create a goal setting tool. Right, that was my idea, and then I learned. No one cares about goals, meaning <laughs> we all do. We all say that they're important, but we don't look for goals, solutions.
0: Oh, right? Yeah, no. no one's the Google search. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort yeah, of. Not, and then you never look at them again.
1: Exactly. So instead, what what these uh, but bad, but, but I knew that teaching them how to write their goals this way, if I could get them to that point, it would have an incredible impact in their business. So um, so Heron ended up becoming a. And, um, and solution for small business owners that are looking to be held accountable for making progress in their in their objectives. So being clear on their objectives and having accountability around us so that they can be consistent and stay out healthy. One of the things that I heard a lot about was, I wish I had a coach to have, because they, so that I can have goals and be accountable to them, but I can't afford it. And I think this happens to a lot of us in like the early stages of a business. It's like, we, we want to be consistent and push, right. (laughs) And we would like someone to hold us accountable, someone that cares, but it can be expensive Mm -hmm. to do that. And my thought was, you don't need to pay a coach for that. Um, You just need a good objective and you need um, a good process Mm -hmm. Good habit um, to check in, right. And you need a human on the other side. And and Heron was a solution, you know, it's a solution for that. You come in, you have every three months, you have your one objective, your one OKR that is measurable. You have your Kiwis, your wellness indicators so that you know how to pace yourself. And then you have weekly action items. And you come in and you check every Monday, how are you doing against your objective? How are you doing with your Kiwis? are you do you need to like pay more attention to your bedtime if that is one of your cues and what are the specific actions you will take this week the two or three or four things not the whole list of to-dos yeah. but the few things that will help you move forward in your objective yeah. And this weekly process of consistency and knowing that there is another human on the other side that is looking at what you're doing,
0: yeah. um, it works. So, um, OK, let's back up to because I mean maybe people think like because you came from Google that developing an app was something that you just like whipped up in a weekend. So how did you go through the process of developing the Heron app? Was it easy? Was it hard? How did you find the talent?
1: Okay, true. So true story of, again, on the theme of we, some things are more organic than, yeah. than we like to think. Yeah. So what happened was that um, following the Emory, I was building spreadsheets for people. and And because it, you could say that was my first MVP, I had uh, people with spreadsheets where they would track their goals and I would help them. And I, w- and I wasn't yet thinking about building a startup at that point. I was supporting my community by helping them write their goals. And I was struck by how consistent they were in following through. Right. And then what happened, and this leads into the app, COVID started. And when COVID starts, I have this moment of what am I going to do? you know, do I, um, I always had in the back of my mind, I'm going to go and get a job back at tech at some point, you know, at some point to go back to making real money again. But that goes away, you know, Airbnb is firing 25% of the workforce. So I had this moment of, if I'm going to build a startup, I should do it now. Mm-hmm. And that crisis gave me the courage to ask the question that I had been afraid to ask for a good number of months, which is, These people are finding this useful. Are they willing to pay for it? Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. So
1: how would I get them to pay for it? I was like, well, I need to give them an app. So there you have me Googling no code app. And I don't know how I find out about this platform. It's called AppSheet. Basically, it turns a spreadsheet into an app. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. And because I don't know how to code.
0: Right, <laughs> right, right, right. right. I
1: know how to do work with a spreadsheet. So right. I spent, I, I don't remember how many hours or days, playing around with the settings of the spreadsheet and this app and reading through the comments. And and that's how the app prototype, you know, MPD comes up from right. spreadsheets. Now it's a glorified spreadsheet, you could say. Right. And with that, I was like, okay, now I have an app and here's a subscription. Will you pay? Right. And they did. And I was like, oh, okay, wow. Maybe, maybe I have something here. <laughs> you know. So
0: did you just go to like anyone that you had done a workshop with? Like yes
1: yeah I had a very small group and to this day I haven't figured out the growth part um yet but at that point I had a very small group of people that had been to my workshops that were using the um my spreadsheets on it on a quarterly basis and I just went to them and I said um where I'm launching an app a subscription model this is how you pay and it was nerve-wracking because it made me so so nervous but but then it was so satisfying when I saw oh they are willing to pay for this. And mm-hmm. that was so good. And that gave me a, a um, motivated me to say, okay, I guess I am doing a startup. And,
0: right. and, and oh so no, what, now you're yeah. next? <laughs> So let, and then let's just clarify though, because so the and so when did you launch the hair on app?
1: So the so I had paying users for the first time, Q3 2020.
0: Okay. So right after, yeah. Q3. So Quickly after that, though, you started to think about shifting. And that's sort of in the process that you're in now, right? So, actually,
1: actually no. So, I had the idea of the Heron app for all, say, the rest of 2020 through the first half of 2021. I'm um, with this accountability app and so forth. And then last summer, that's when I realized that um, the, the user journey is off. So I have a couple of learnings there. One is that um, the user journeys off is really challenging to start with OKRs as a user journey because it requires you to sit down and think. And, it, and absent of me being in the workshop, and, you know, it, it's just difficult to get started. It's like a big
0: jump, kind of.
1: A big jump. Um the second thing I realized is that this Kiwi feature, the, the key wellness indicators really works. That people love it. That um, my friends that don't use Heron talk to me about their Kiwis now. That people that were using Heron as startup founders and were going back to the, to the corporate space were asking me if they could keep tracking their Kiwis. Oh so I realized, God. oh, this being solution that for me was like a counterbalancing factor to the okr yeah. to the business side this well-being solution is really useful and, and maybe i underestimated it because it is so simple yeah people like it because it is so simple and and, and and intuitive so that's when the shift for me happens it's like last summer i started thinking about okay i think that well-being comes first and the kiwi feature it's very easy and it adds value right away and then whoever is interested in becoming more strategic on how they pursue their goals and so on and so forth or are looking for accountability they'll have that option Mm -hmm. so um and I started exploring the idea of bringing these kiwi the kiwi solution maybe to the corporate space and I and and where it can be um yeah, useful to other people. So that's why a little bit where I am now, I'm, I'm shifting the customer journey to start with a Kiwi, with a Kiwi solution.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, in what way though, are you linking the Kiwi? Because I I, I see that correlation, but I'm um, familiar with OKRs. So it, it is interesting. It's sort of like, so from, from someone sort of entering the world of tracking Kiwis, Are you trying to kind of bridge the gap between, okay, these are the Kiwis, and this is how we can maintain our balance as we're pursuing something bigger, we're pursuing our dreams or pursuing those goals? Like, have have you sort of thought about how you could reverse that client journey? Or are you thinking of just sort of forgetting about the OKRs and just taking Kiwis as one separate standalone product?
1: So I um, so I'll give you the product the, the the product part first, and then the more my, my how I'm thinking about it. So from a product perspective, for me is um, here's a, a well-being solution that is very simple, and I expect that some people it's all they're looking for. Especially if they have a full-time job, um, they already have plenty of other objectives. They don't need additional objectives. It's yeah. too much. So yeah. some people I expect will just use the Kiwi tool, and and that's wonderful for me. That's uh, that's, that's a great result. And I expect that people that are working on their own uh, will be interested in also um, improving their uh, focus, their business focus and becoming more strategic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Part of, so that's the product. So, and, and then the, they will sign up for these additional features, which I have built and I've tested over the last two years. But part of the thing implicit in your question, right, is that we have this divide in our mind between our well-being and business as these two different things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, I, and, I, and I find that challenging, right? Because we know that that is not the case. We know that for each one, for each one of us to thrive, we need to be okay. <laughs> and, and if we're okay, we can make good decisions at work. We can be creative, feel accomplished. But these two things don't... Uh, being okay and, and whole in a way is not in a position to being successful at work.
0: But it also plays a little bit into how everything has shifted because I think with so many people working from home, like one of the things that I, all these articles that have come out about that blur between work and home, I mean, there's no denying that that blur is there. And so, I think that we're all very conscious of wanting to maintain that balance, right? And um, I think I think it is interesting though to be honing in. I'm just going to put on like a marketer hat, like honing in on one of those targets. So either it's just for the entrepreneurs or for everyone, like entrepreneur and people that are in in um, companies. Yeah or you focus on anyone that's working from home that doesn't have that balance. But I think what, what is hard is sort of like this idea of the OKRs that are very sort of like mm, entrepreneur mm-hmm. um, track mm-hmm. versus the fact that you have all different case studies for the Kiwis and the Kiwis are really, really something valuable.
1: Yeah, so my, so my focus is on entrepreneurs and small business owners. Okay. Right. That is where my focus is. I think that um, in the back of my mind, there's the idea that the Kiwi solution can also be useful for a different type of client, which yeah. is the big But it's not what I'm pursuing. Um, my focus is on the, on the entrepreneur and the um, small business owner because um, one, I really care about this target succeeding, right? Because there is something that is so tied to self-realization. you're creating your own business right
0: yeah Yeah.
1: it is so personal so and i think we should all i i I want everyone to have the possibility and the space to uh to realize whatever creative endeavor they have or, or whether it is a desire of independence or however whatever is driving them to work on their own um i want to Strengthen that and and have processes that help it make it happen and sustainable. The other reason why that's my target one, I care about it. And then the second one is there's such a close relationship between our um, energy levels Mm. and the uh, force behind our businesses when you're working on your own. So, if at Google, if I was demotivated, having a bad week, I had a whole team, like the whole machine would keep on going, which is part of the reason why we burn out. Yeah. But when we're working on our own and we're having that week of nothing is working, I just don't even like, I, I lost track of, I don't even know what the track looks like. Yeah. Everything seems to stop and it's so discouraging, right? So that's the other reason why for me, uh, Heron as a holistic solution that is both helps you with your business and maintain your personal balance um, is important because you need both in order to thrive and it, that and small business owners entrepreneurs feel that more closely i think yeah, absolutely. Um, more closely so i don't know so so that's definite that's definitely uh my my target and where i've seen that it works uh, it works uh, best so what
0: is your next step now right so we have the Heron app has been going for about two years you've had all of this these insights from People loving it, people will pay for it, um, understanding what people are connecting to the most. So, and, and, I, and I also want to highlight, like, this is the journey, right? It's not, I think that there's this misconception that, you know, you kind of whip up your product or whatever, and then like the next day or within six months, because I think these are the stories that we hear. But I think that building anything of real true value and of substance, it, it, you can't take there's no shortcuts because all of these puzzle pieces that you put together, these are things that you've had to discover for yourself. Not anyone can come in and say, no, that's how the puzzle should fit together. And it's definitely going to work because especially if you're doing something new or innovative. So now that you've had this, all of this learning, sort of like in the point where you are, what what's like the next step for you? Or what do you think is going to be the sort of that, um, like your what are your OKRs right now for the business?
1: <laughs> Not giving up. No, I'm kidding. Um, so the so the main so the main thing the next step for me is um, remember how I told you that I built this no code um, app. Okay, yeah. it's gone for too long, right? Yeah. The UX is terrible, and a good sign that it's terrible is that I need to do Loom videos for people to know how to do their check ins. It got <laughs> to a point yeah. where it was unsustainable. And so my next thing is I am building a real app this time. Yeah. I feel like I have enough learnings. So I figure out what the journey should be like. Um, so my next immediate thing is building the product. What is challenging about that is I am bootstrapping. So any given week, my time is divided between the consultant work.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, making the pennies so that I can pay yeah. for like the startup stuff. Um, that balance is challenging Uh, finding um, technical resources engineers that are good that are not going to need that much guidance they need to be senior enough but then I can't really afford them so finding the talent is a challenge Um, so my next thing is building the building the product for the the Kiwis part first the um, the second thing is I need to um, go to market. Because really these last two years, not only the start of my startup journey was very, as I said, oh, I wonder if people will pay, I guess I have a startup, not. But also I've spent two years in this very small world of people that were using it, that were referrals and so on and so forth, terrified of actually putting it out there. Mm -hmm. I like had never done market, like ads, forget yeah. about, it. So, yeah. terrified of that, but also blocked on this go-to marketplace. Cause I didn't know how to do it. And I still don't. <laughs> right. So when we don't know how to do something, yeah. we avoid it. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But so where I am now is trying to get that product out that anyone can use. And then, um, trying to figure out, Testing really the interest for it and, and and how to communicate the value and getting the users that that's that's where
0: you find me today. So <clears throat> just to anyone that's curious, what are more or less the costs associated with developing an app? I mean, obviously it ranges. Obviously, it really ranges. But for for AppSheet, was that like a very like nominal kind of DIY? you could kind of get my, like minimum viable product out for.
1: Oh, yeah. So AppSheet, you could get a uh, minimal product out for, um, I don't know, $50 a month. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Like yeah.
1: So, right. so AppSheet is great to get started. If you like, if what you have fits into a spreadsheet, AppSheet is a good option. Also, they were acquired by Google, which gave me a lot of confidence on how they were yeah. managing the data and stuff. Um, but... AppSheet makes you pay by user depending on the features you use you pay by user which means yeah. that you can get started for very cheap but to scale it becomes very, very expensive right right so i've been running the app paying like no more than a hundred dollars per month which is super cheap
0: yeah and um, but also do you think that that having the app sheet having this minimal viable product kind of like sketch paper stuff is helpful to the developers that you're talking to? Not really. <laughs> OK, OK. No. It's not like giving them a framework. It's sort of like, no. you're, yeah, OK.
1: No, because um, it's so limited, the decisions that I can make in relation to UX, UI features that um, they cannot use it. What it has been very useful for is I've gotten feedback from users over time. I know from the very limited options that I had to offer, do you want to do the check-in all at once or do you want to do it piecemeal? I know what the preferences were. Um, and it also helped me test validate some things. People are willing to come to a new app, right? To do these tasks, right? In fact, when my app sheet, um, when the app sheet would be down for whatever reason, because I made a mistake in some setting, they would email me their check-in. Right, so I was like, okay, they're willing to go to a new app to do this weekly exercise, and that was an important that was an important uh, learn uh, validation for me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but other than that, it was looking into the new app that I'm designing. I didn't take anything
0: from that MVP other than learning some validations and so bootstrapping and developing are you in the process already of developing or you're still trying to find okay
1: both both so I'm in the process because I have a senior engineer that's helping me and he's doing the, the back end but I'm looking for a front-hand um, front-end engineer that can get it through the finish line um, I'll tell you talking about the cost of building an app so no code platform super cheap
0: yeah the
1: moment you want to go and build something there are all these agencies and it was so expensive because i am technical enough to know how complicated complex something is and i know that what i have is not complex yeah and the fact that i could make it run with a spreadsheet is a good evidence of that (laughs) i'm not a genius yeah and yet the quotes that i was getting from agencies were in the twenty four thousand thirty thousand dollars and when you're bootstrapping and like making it's it can become very expensive so my advice would be if you if anyone is finding themselves in this position start with no code allows you to get started and do learnings and then try to find the talent that will help you build the app especially if it is something fairly fairly simple and especially if you're being like in my case, I would invest all that money, but I'm too early on the go-to-market. Like mm-hmm. I want to have a solid, uh, I want to have, I have great retention, but I don't have the growth aspect. And until I don't see that growth aspect, I hesitate over spending so much money.
0: Yeah. yeah. Have you seen just one thing I think is an inter- is a good hack or, or just an inspiration for go-to-market is really following those competitors right and that sandbox like looking at what others have done successfully Um, but you have to nail down right it's like sort of that positioning right because there's the health aspect of it and there's the business aspect of it but what's interesting here is it's almost like a new category
1: yes and that has been so so i'll tell you how this plays out landing pages right Uh, for my hello heron site I used to do them and the color is cream and it's very peaceful and nature. And it's about uh, g- gathering, getting peace of mind because that's right. what people tell me when they have this one OKR, yeah. right? The chaos is decluttered and they know what is important for the next three months. And it's, there's a well-being, like a clarity of mind, calm to it. So I would b- build a landing page and I would ask people, what is this landing page about? And they're like, oh, is it a meditation app? because it's Uh so confusing to think yeah so confusing to think you you can get amazing business results and not be a machine and not go Uh crazy this is why i chose heron as the animal because if you look at a heron if you know you're in miami it's full of herons yeah you look at a heron the heron moves very slowly if it moves at all yeah Super chill. You look at yeah. the and it's like this individual bird, you don't see them with a bunch of other people. They're on their own, super chill. They're fierce.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: They get the fish. Like <laughs> they pull baby alligators from. Oh from the fish. So there is this idea, this different paradigm for what it means to be productive. That is not about uh, optimizing moving tasks crossing things as much as possible. Like if we were a machine, going for quantity, but it's much more about being put together, Mm. calm and clarity. What are the things that truly matter? How do I know when they're actually moving? How do I know when I am uh, centered so that I can make those decisions Mm -hmm. and getting the results? And it feels like a different category because it's a different paradigm that does not divide business results and your well-being and we're saying actually you kind of need
0: both Mm. well I love it I mean I think with that lies like a huge opportunity because as you're talking I'm thinking well what is that really it's kind of like corporate wellness but in this category we're not talking to corporations it's almost like and I see there being such room in the market for this category that's kind of like mind, mindful productiveness, mm-hmm. right? Mindful production where, you know, and, and I think that it it ties into this messaging now where, and I think there's a lot of thought leaders that speak of, you know, what is success, redefining success, because we all are in this moment of building the lives. It brings us back to the beginning of the conversation where does success mean v- being senior VP and flying all over the globe? I'll tell you, when I was, you know, 20 years ago, that sounds very exciting. Nowadays, to be, you know, traveling for business away from my bed for weeks and weeks and weeks of the year is not not exciting. You know what I mean? So, And, and that pressure and all that stuff. People want to build a lifestyle where they can be doing things they enjoy and they are with the people they love. So...
1: Uh, but I'll tell you, I think it keeps going back to this, um, it's almost like an assumption that we have, that we need to choose between our well-being and that amazing mm-hmm. career, however you define that career.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I actually think that that is not the case. It's quite the opposite. Yeah. that you need to have your well-being to have that amazing career. And I'll tell you, reflecting on my Google journey, going back to like the beginning of our conversation, nine years, and I'm, I can't do this anymore. And it made me think, who are the people that I know that have been resilient within Google? Yeah. People that I consider extremely successful, like, um, you know, uh, maybe they enjoy traveling, right? Or, you know, whatever it is that, who are the people that were able to be resilient and stay in this highly stimulating environment without burning out? They are for the most part, the people that had a, a great life outside of work.
0: Mm-hmm. They were
1: connected with friends, with family, with hobbies. They were mostly people that were not dislocated. Mm-hmm. So many of us, so I was all by myself in California. I had great friends, but I was far away from my family. Far, when I was in Ireland again, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but, but when I think about the people that uh, were able to stay resilient are people that had their families around their culture maybe they had even grandparents whatever they belong to that place so that is such a good example on itself of how well-being uh well-being however you define it and however you make it happen for yourself is key yeah to being successful however you define success really being uh, stimulated learning creative getting business results and we tend to think that we need to choose between those two. I need to choose between the lifestyle and the business results. I'm like, no, this is why, for example, when we talk about, when we know about really amazing CEOs, you know, they're fit, they meditate, <laughs> you wow. know, all of that, right? Because you cannot get there if you are not solid
0: yourself. Mm-hmm. And and that also reminds me, And when you were talking about the women you were like uh, teaching at the co-working space feeling relief for the kiwi uh, for mm-hmm. the okrs mm-hmm. i think that's just it and i think that there's that high level thinking of doing less to do more which is what okrs teaches us but in this i think in order to get to that that mindset shift because i think you're right i think you know for the happy resilient um, really successful leaders that we have in these high growth businesses. It is just that. It's, it's about understanding what the priorities are, right? Yeah. Fo- being intensely focused and being able also probably to have that, that separation or that, that, uh, that perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Of that I have a really rich, vibrant home life and personal life right? Because I think a lot of us that maybe have some balance in some areas of our own life, look to those positions and say, oh, you know, that just seems like a ball of stress all the time. That, that, that would be me in that position. Maybe if you think that, um, but I love that you're, you know, it sounds like you're on a mission to sort of have people look at life and career and business differently. Um,
1: yeah, I want to, I want to redefine what it means to be, what it means to be productive away from this idea of productivity as part of uh, a machinery where we optimize, we're trying to be efficient, feed as much as we can, these, like the hamster in the wheel, right? Yeah. Doing so much, getting exhausted, taking, uh, draining and not going anywhere <laughs> yeah. or like the heron, Yeah whole and join the environment, getting all the fish that, you know, <laughs> getting business results, get, get rich by all means. Like, I don't think you need to choose. Yeah. Between
0: grace and being successful. I love that. I think that's like a perfect place to wrap up because I want you to share. Yes. How can everyone listening get involved with you, with Heron, with tracking Kiwis, with everything, following you and, and your journey and the business that how can we help with the, the journey and follow along. So, the, so the most
1: important thing for me right now is having um, testers and the first users for the new app. Okay. So you can join the waitlist by going
0: to the kiwis.app. Okay. Yes. That will be in the show note, the kiwis.app. Got it. The kiwis.app. Join the waitlist.
1: So I'm hoping that in the next month the Kiwi app is ready and you'll be able to start using it. It will be free. And for me, if you're feeling gen A, if you're feeling like you want to pay more attention to your well-being, you want to know when you're losing it and self-adjust, um, and you want to support a startup, being generous with feedback and ideas, um, being on that waitlist would help me a great deal.
0: Well, I'm I'm excited. I'm on the waitlist. So everyone needs to join me on the waitlist, and we can have. A follow up um, episode of the podcast. We can talk about the launch and 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 feedback. Maybe we can get some uh, kind of like a group session and then talk about about that on because I think on air because I think it'd be really interesting for people to understand how you know how that how feedback is gathered and how iterations happen. You know,
1: and all I think there should be an episode of all the mistakes we made. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Because I have a bigger list of mistakes than I have of successes. <laughs> so, so I would love, it would be so cathartic for us to sit down and talk about all the mistakes, lack of judgment and, and, and missteps along
0: the way. Okay. That's the next episode because I think that, uh, I think that would be so cathartic for so many, so many of us. <laughs> for me and everyone listening, um, Thank you so much. Magdalena, this is such a great joy to hear your journey and your story. I'm so happy that you've shared it all today and um, we will be sure to have you back on. So everyone get to the kiwis.app. It'll be in the show notes. I'll also link up um, to the app sheet and any other resources we chatted about during the episode. Yeah, or my
1: Instagram account is hello under dash, whatever you call it, underscore
0: heron. Okay. Got it. We'll link that up too. I think I have. We'll link that up too. So thank you so much. I am so appreciative. <laughs> thank, thank you. You did it. You made it to the end of the episodes. Thanks for sticking around with me and listening all the way to the end. I really appreciate you as an audience member, and I hope that you found this helpful. If you did like this episode, it would mean so, so much to me. If you subscribed, if you rate and review this podcast, it helps other people know that this podcast has something worth saying. It also would be super awesome if you could take a screenshot and share on Instagram and tag me at Ugly Ventures, U-G-L-I Ventures, V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S. I am always so appreciative to hear from you and I hope to see you back here next week on the Marketing for Startups podcast.